but I'm glad you're here this morning in the middle of the winter, and we are here to learn. We're here to be strengthened. We're here to be challenged, and uh, we've been tracking through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we found ourselves this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can grab, uh, or you can turn there to 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, if you don't, there's Bibles on the back tables that we uh, make available. We want to make sure you're following along uh, this morning. We've got a ton of verses to, that I'll reference and actually turn to. You can see just by the, uh, all the tabs in my Bible for this morning, and we'll uh, get our fingers going here in a minute. But I wanted to, it's so something that kind of came to mind this week is that there are notable chapters in the Bible kind of standout chapters that are more well-known than others. They're standouts in the sense that if I said to you, Genesis chapter 1, uh, for many of you, what would you think of? Creation, right? In the beginning, God created. How about Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. We got some sharp Bible scholars here. All right, very good. Psalm 23, if I said, hey, let's recite that, how does it start? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? And then depending on which version you've memorized it in, it kind of changes from there. How about this? This might be a little trickier. Isaiah chapter 6. Any standouts for you? Yeah. All right, I've heard a few things. It's the, really about the holiness of God. When you're looking for a chapter about the holiness of God, Isaiah 6 is the place to go. This one might be a little easier. Hebrews chapter 11. What do we call that? The faith chapter, the hall of faith, listing all the saints that went before and, and, uh, and their faith, right? How about 1 Corinthians 13, which we studied a little earlier? The love chapter, right? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is known as the resurrection chapter. If you're looking for a place to study on the resurrection, there are 58 verses laid out for us from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit that help us to understand about the resurrection, speaking to the reality of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the implications of him coming back to life, our resurrection, what, we, what that looks like for us individually. And it speaks to the types of bodies that we will have and what heaven will be like. 1 Corinthians 15 is an amazing chapter and uh, really kind of took me off off guard. I've been planning, you know, obviously we've been tracking along. I hadn't studied a whole lot of 1 Corinthians 15 until this week, but I'm excited for the next few weeks, and I'm praying, asking God in my own heart and in your lives that we would start to long for heaven, that we would begin to desire heaven, and that not only that, as we understand the resurrection, what it means to us is that we would have a heart for the lost, that our hearts would grow for those around us that are dying and going, slipping into eternity without a saving knowledge of Jesus, without confessing that Jesus is Lord, without confessing that they, they believe in the resurrection. And so uh, we're going to track through for the first 11 verses in uh, chapter 11. We're going to try to tackle those today. It really talks about what the Corinthians believed to be true about the resurrection. And then it will shift and go into what if the resurrection did not happen. And then the, really that last big section of 1 Corinthians 15 uh, shares with us the value of the resurrection. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss the next several weeks because we're going to talk about the hope and the depth and the significance that the resurrection 
holds for each and every one of us. I really liked how John MacArthur put it. He said, in regards to the message of the gospel, which really we'll see this morning is the resurrection, that God is not dead anymore. He arose. And then it goes on, and he says, just as the heart pumps life into lifeblood to the body, so the resurrection is the very heart of the gospel pumping life into every other area of truth. It's the most important thing. It's number one. We'll read that here in just a second. The resurrection is the pivot on which all Christianity turns. Take away the resurrection, he says. Christianity comes out as a wishful thinking and just another useless human philosophy. The resurrection cannot be underestimated. It has been and always will be the cornerstone of our Christian faith. It's what we hang our hats on. And if you wiped out the resurrection, you got rid of it, you would end up getting rid of everything. You would eliminate salvation, we'll see, the deity of Christ, eternal life, the consequences of death. And because the significance of the resurrection is so strong, it's been under attack, really, since the beginning of time. Since, that, since it first happened, even in the early church, people's beliefs around what would happen in the afterlife uh, has been challenging. When, when people are asked about the resurrection, about Christ, or about heaven, or about hell, or the physical resurrection uh, of our bodies, people do not have a clear understanding of what God has put in His Word. And so our goal, really, over the next couple of weeks, is to bring some clarity, bring some uh, doctrinal understanding uh, to this, and bring some, uh, some answers to maybe where there's been some doubts in your understanding. I, l- I was looking for some research on uh, what people believe about the afterlife or what people believe about um, uh, the resurrection. And there was uh, nothing uh, recent that I could find, but I looked back about 12 or 13 years ago, George Barna did some researching and uh, was uh, very strategic asking about uh, resurrection. And, in- and what was interesting is how few Christians even would undeniably agree with the resurrection and that their bodies would be resurrected. There was, uh, there was a misunderstanding. There was a disconnect. Many would say, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, but do, will we rise from the grave? And there was a disconnect. And we're going to bring some answers to that. What was also interesting in that same study is that the more educated a person became or the, or the more income that a person had, the less likely they were to believe in a literal hell or a literal heaven. Now, that's dangerous because I'm looking at a group of intellectual geniuses, right? That's you guys. You guys are smart. Many of you are educated. College or you're studying, you're, you're very, you know, so we've got a measure of knowledge. The other thing is, in regards to the world standard, we are very rich, all of us. Even the, the, the least among us uh, is, has got great riches. And if that's the truth, Lord, help us to not only understand what Scripture says, but then to apply it in our lives. And what's interesting is that the Corinthians, they struggled in a similar fashion with the idea of resurrection. Not so much that Jesus rose from the grave, because we'll see that many of the Christian believers uh, within that, uh, within that uh, Corinthian church had actually even seen Jesus, and, uh, as we understand that, but they, they didn't believe that they would physically be raised themselves. 
And that was partly because of the culture that they lived in. They were heavily influenced, much of the way that we are in our culture. How many know um, our world and our beliefs, uh, they're at odds at times, even today. And that's a struggle. Well, it was a struggle for the Corinthians. And it brought them to this, uh, this understanding that the Greeks, they denied any type of resurrection. But for the Corinthian believers, they'd say, look, we believe in the resurrection of that Jesus his body was, ra- was raised from the dead, that there were many that saw that and uh, understood that, but they would say there was no resurrection for them personally. And it was hurting their faith. It was, it was, there was a disconnect and there was a struggle there. But we know that John 14, 19 is true, where Jesus says, look, because I live, you will live also. And we understand that on this side, you know, later on as we look, uh, but for that early believers, they really struggled there. So Paul, and really, uh, he gives us a gift in chapter 15 and something to sink our teeth into, so to speak, and gives us some doctrine in regards to these, uh, to the resurrection of Jesus and then our resurrection as it progresses. But this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to stand to honor God's word. Uh, we often do this. We do this because we love the Lord and uh, we want to uh, bring highlight to that. And as we read this, I want you to understand uh, a little bit that Paul, very much like an attorney, is bringing a proof text or support to Jesus' resurrection. And he starts where the Corinthians believe, and we'll kind of capture that in the first 11 verses. And what he does, he not only identifies different eyewitnesses and different proofs and looks at the Old Testament, different things, but what he's doing, he's building a case for the resurrection, not so much for their sake, okay, because they believed in the resurrection. But Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and his commentators have uh, understood this and wrote about it, it's really for us because we weren't there. We can read these verses and trust the witness of the resurrection. That we can go to the bank and say, yes, I believe and I would die for that belief because it says it in God's word. And so as we read this, pretend like you're in a, in a court of law and Paul is, is bringing his proof or his witness to the stand. Let's look what it says. It says, and now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you which you received and which you have taken to stand, or you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Very interesting verse. We'll talk about that. Verse 3, For what I have received, I passed on to you as the first importance. First importance. Ever say, it's number one. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Peter, and then He appeared to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then He appeared to the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am at the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called uh, an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. 
No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then I was that it was it whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And so he's acknowledged what they've believed. Say, why did he do this? He did it for us. And this morning we're going to see the proof of why, uh, why they believed, the early church believed, and that why there was such incredible unity within the church uh, about the resurrection and what that means for us as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would just help us this morning uh, to track through these verses. Uh, let it be just a powerful uh, opportunity for us to learn, to grow. Lord, I pray that you would just use my lips to be an example, uh, to, Lord, uh, to pierce the hearts of souls, Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray for salvation to be found here this morning. And God, I pray that you would be glorified in everything. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. So the first eyewitness of the resurrection that Paul addresses here is really the Corinthian church. Let's look at it first in uh, the first couple verses here. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you have been saved. The power of Jesus' resurrection had changed the lives of the early believers in Corinth. The testimony, as they put their faith in Jesus, had changed them. And what he acknowledges is that, number one, they had received the gospel. We see that in Acts chapter 17, verse 32, that Paul is teaching in Athens, which is really a suburb of Corinth, and he's preaching about the resurrection. He preached the gospel, which was based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The early believers received the gospel, and what Paul is acknowledging here is that if they had not received that, that message, they would not be Christ followers. They wouldn't be Christ followers. In fact, you cannot follow Christ unless you believe in the resurrection. You say, well, show me that in God's word. Well, I'm glad you said that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. A great verse that we often talk about when we uh, are encouraging people to surrender their lives to the Lord. Look what it says. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. If you take part of that away, you do not have someone that has fully received the gospel. But the Corinthians, they had. They had received it, and then it says in verse 2 that they were standing on the gospel. They were, their faith was firmly rooted in the resurrection. It was unshakable in their minds. It was nothing that they denied. They had remembered their commitment to, to the Lord that they put their faith in God and in the understanding that Jesus died and then he rose again. The third thing that, is that, that it says there in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is that they were saved by the gospel. Look what it says. By this gospel, you were saved. 
it had changed their lives. And I believe that the greatest eyewitness, the proof of resurrection, is a changed life. Jesus Christ has changed my life. When I look at my life, I look at my past, and I say, God, thank you for your saving power. And I believe that in your life, if you've surrendered your heart to the Lord, your example, the, re- the reality of a transformed life is the greatest eyewitness that there ever could be for the resurrection of Jesus. And I would challenge you this morning. I would ask you the question, can you say this, that Jesus has changed your life? Is that true for you? And maybe not a, has he changed it, is he changing your life? Because a transformed life, you will know that it's true. It's a mark of a true believer. And we're at the end of the service today, we're going to give you an opportunity. If you have any doubt, any question at all, we're, we're going to give you opportunity to surrender your life to the Lord. It's nothing mystical or crazy. It's, it's what God encourages us to do. And it's by the power of the resurrection that you would receive and be saved through Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of verse 2, I just want to acknowledge something. It says, by this gospel you've been saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preach. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And this is an interesting verse that has been debated, uh, that especially the end part. Um, there, if, you've, uh, if you're a theologian at any level, maybe you've heard of John Calvin and maybe uh, Joseph Arminius and uh, the Arminian theology versus Calvinism. Um, how many are familiar with at least those terms a little bit? Really, it kind of boils down to uh, a few different things. Uh, but one of the things is eternal security and the assemblies of God probably leans more towards Arminianism, where we believe that you can give your heart to the Lord and then you can actually turn away from God. You have the free will to do that. You could serve God at part of your life and then reject him later in your life. Um, Arminianism or uh, Calvinism would, would differ and say, no, you cannot serve God and fully be engaged. You can't fall away. And uh, the problem with that uh, is that some people think, oh, well, eternal security, people that say that say, well, that means you could accept Christ and then go live like the devil, right? And that's not what Calvinism says. That's not what eternal security really means. If you're truly saved, Calvin would say, you would stay true to God, that you would continue to follow after him. And if you were to fall away, then you really never accepted. And I would say that we would say the same thing, that if you are saved, You are going to continually hold firm, according to this verse in chapter 2, the key, I think, in both ways is to stand firm in the faith until the end. Look what it says. I'll read it one more time. It says, but this by this gospel you're saved. If you're holding firm to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. It was worthless. So whether you're actually turning away and you were saved and you're rejecting or you never were saved, either way, our goal, how many know, is to stand firm, to continue to strive, to continue to connect with the Lord. And that, to me, is crystal clear. 
But now back to the proof test of what Paul is really trying to say. In the second proof text, or the, wit- the witness, is the Scriptures. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. Again, it's number one importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You say, what are the scriptures he's talking about? He's referencing the Old Testament scriptures. The resurrection is not something that the disciples and Jesus just thought up. It was not a new concept. It was something that was foretold from the beginning of time. Luke 24, 25, Jesus actually acknowledges that all the prophets spoke of him. Jesus referred to Moses and the prophets concerning himself. In fact, turn with me to Acts chapter 26. We see this uh, spelled out for us. Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. Paul is, is speaking to King Agrippa. He's bringing some knowledge to them. And in verse 22, he says this. He says, but I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said had happened, that the Christ would suffer and, the first, and, and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. In other words, Paul was acknowledging in, uh, in his understanding that, that the Moses and what the prophets had said were all pointing to Jesus. And we see that as you study the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. You see that in Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham and Isaac. Love the story, and we don't have the time to study it in its full, but Abraham takes his son. God had told him to take his son and to kill his son, to sacrifice his son. Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead, even if he took his life, and so he was about to do it. Of course, a ram was caught in the thicket. They uh, used that, and Many believe, I believe, that Isaac was a type of Christ, a picture of Christ, a ransom, that Abraham was willing, like the heavenly, our Heavenly Father, God, was willing to give his son and did give his son. The ram really was represented in Christ. We see the same thing in Leviticus 23, that there was a resurrection prophesied. In Psalm 16, it was, there was clear prophecy um, as you read through Psalm 16, and really, uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter took Psalm 16 and picked that apart in its interesting study. In Psalm 22, uh, we read uh, uh, David talking about the death of Christ. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? He talks about the fact that Jesus would be thirsty and that he would be pierced with a sword, that he would be mocked and he would be beaten. The same is true in Isaiah 53, and uh, many of you are familiar with Isaiah 53, but I want to turn there and look at a few of these things. Um, It talks early on, surely Jesus, uh, prophesying about Jesus, would take our infirmities. He would carry our sorrows, right? He was pierced for our transgressions, uh, crushed for our iniquities. Um, Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? And then uh, look what it says. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. Verse 9, he was assigned to the grave with the wicked and with the rich in, in his death, though he had done no violence. 
nor was any deceit in his mouth. So it talks about the death of Jesus. Yet, verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong of days and and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, what would happen? Look what it says. He will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. In other words, he will be raised from the dead. It was foretold from the beginning through the prophets. And uh, there's another type of of uh, Jesus, another one, there are, there are many, many, but Jonah even is a type of Jesus in the fact that he spent three days in the belly of the fish, like Jesus spent three days in the grave. We see that in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, uh, acknowledging that. In other words, when you look at these and probably 30 or 40 other proof texts, the scriptures are witness of Jesus' death and resurrection. Does that make sense? You can go to the Old Testament to see what God had, pr- had planned from the beginning, especially with our eyes looking back as we know and understand the New Testament and looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. It's pretty amazing that we can do that. So Paul says, not only you, the church, the Corinthians, were an eyewitness, but the scriptures were a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he continues in verse number 5, 5 through 7. He lists a bunch of different people. Look what it says. That he was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and, verse 5, that he, Jesus, appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then he appeared to the apostles. You say, wow, why do you think Paul mentioned all of those different people? I think for different reasons. The reason overall is that this did not just happen in a vacuum. This This was not a figment of a few people's imagination that Jesus was raised from the dead. This is so important to our faith. And so he mentions Peter, Cephas, or Simon. Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 34. Uh, we can read it, um, what it says. It says, Peter, uh, it says, actually start in verse 33. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those that had been assembled together and said, Is it true? Or it, they, they said, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, had appeared to Simon Peter. Say, why is that so important? Well, Peter was the one that denied Jesus. Most people believe that Jesus went to Peter first and acknowledged that because he had denied him. He was broken. He had wept. His heart was torn out that he denied him after he said he would stand with him. And God, a God full of grace and mercy, sought out Peter individually and met him in his resurrected body, and it gave him proof. The next, it says, is that he met with the 12. We see that in John chapter chapter 20. John chapter 20, uh, verse 19. Uh, we can read, we can kind of look at that. It says, On the evening of the first of the week, 
when the disciples were together, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus would appear to his disciples. You say, wasn't there just 11 at that point? Probably. Uh, but they did replace Judas. And so at, uh, in very much that he reappeared to the 12, the point is the apostles saw the Lord. Then it says that he appeared to the 500 and appeared to them all at one time. And uh, as com- most commentators believe that happened in Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus had met with the, some of the disciples, or had met with the disciples, he had met with some of the ladies, and they, he had told them to go ahead to Galilee. And look what it says in verse 16. And the 11 disciples, th- at that point, they went to Galilee, uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, if you were told to go and you had seen the resurrected Jesus, how many know you're going to tell someone along the way? Isn't that right? The ladies, of course, would have been, but the disciples as well. So at that mountain top experience, when it says they worshipped him, there were more than just the 12 disciples. This most likely was the time when 500 in one sitting. And when they worshipped him, but then it says, but some doubted. That wouldn't be the disciples because they had already seen him. And so some doubted, but then Jesus came to them, came close to them, appeared to them, walked with them, talked with them, and the 500 believed. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, to establish a witness of something being true, it took the witness of two or three people. Jesus had 500, 497 extra witnesses. Isn't that awesome? Witnessing the resurrection for our sake. So if there was even a glimpse of doubt in our minds, we could say, look, 500 at one time. You can't deny that. It continues in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 that James, the half-brother of Jesus, also was appeared to by Jesus. You say, well, why is that significant? Well, in John chapter 7, verse 5, it talks about uh, the brothers of Jesus, there were four of them, uh, did not believe that of, of Jesus uh, when Jesus was walking on this earth. They struggled with the idea that, okay, we've got the same mom. He says his, his, uh, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he's the Messiah. How could that be? They struggled with that. But it says here that Jesus appeared to James. Why is that significance? Or how? Because James became the, one of the great leaders in Jerusalem and ended up uh, giving his entire life to Jesus. And you see that when he wrote the book of James at the very beginning in the verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a statement of faith by James, who at one point did not believe, but after the resurrection, believed in Jesus. And then, of course, the apostles. We see that even Thomas, the doubting, uh, doubting apostle, uh, said, My Lord, my God, uh, in John chapter 20, verse 28. Uh, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It's very interesting. Uh, verse there, Acts chapter 1 where the apostles were together. This is right before Jesus was going to ascend into heaven. But look what it says. It says, After Jesus' sufferings, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of heaven. So when you read that, you can discern that Jesus, he ate and he talked with and he appeared on many occasions, many proofs that he was risen. It wasn't just one Sunday night, but it was over and over and over. Again, I ask the question, why would Paul take the time to speak this to the Corinthian church about the resurrection? He did it for us, that if there was even a glimpse of doubt that Jesus had rose from the grave. I wish we were preaching this on Easter Sunday, I really, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but listen, this is the truth of the gospel. Jesus died, but he didn't stay in the grave. He is risen. He's risen. And then back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul acknowledges that even Christ came to him. And he says, at last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Uh, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me not my, uh, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. I love these verses because what it's saying is Paul saying, look, God, he captured my heart. He came to me. You say, when did Jesus, when did Paul see Jesus after the resurrection? Well, Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus was the first time. The second time was Acts chapter 18, verse 10, where Jesus came to Paul in a vision. You say, why would Jesus do that? Paul was an unbelieving, Jesus-hating, Christian killer thug. He was as bad as you could get against the gospel. And Paul acknowledges that. He understood that. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I know I'm having you turn to a lot of these places, but these are so important to what Paul understood about himself. He says this, I want to thank Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that has considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy by the act, or because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace, everyone say grace, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a truth, trustworthy saying, verse 15, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now listen, we know and study the Apostle Paul. For us to read that and to really get the full understanding of what Paul really believed about himself, we need to, we need to take this at face value. See, we, we kind of acknowledge Paul as a super apostle. It's hard to believe that he had any weaknesses. But he did. Certainly, originally, he persecuted the church. So much to the point that he called himself abnormally born. Very interesting. The idea there is that he was an aborted fetus, that, that the world had given up on him. But God had a plan. Later on, Paul describes himself as being short in stature. 
that he couldn't see very well, that he had back problems, he had a thorn in his flesh, he couldn't speak very well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Corinthians, a lot of them didn't want to follow Paul's teaching because in person he lacked charisma like Apollos did. We've talked about this in the study of 1 Corinthians. But in word he was strong, it said. And so Paul is acknowledging it's only by God's grace that Paul could do anything. And I would, I would submit to you and to my own life that if you want to see the resurrection power at work, then look at someone who people thought was nothing and see how God is using them mightily. Can you think of someone that didn't have a whole lot of gifts or abilities in the natural, but God seems to just put his hand on their life? That's the power of the resurrection. See, sometimes people can get away with it and, get, and, uh, uh, and fake their way, but it's beautiful when someone that is lacking, maybe someone that, with an ailment or someone with a, with a disability that God uses, and boy, God gets the glory for that, doesn't he? That's the power of the resurrection. Verse 10, Paul acknowledges that it was God's grace, even though he worked hard. And that's the same message for us today, that Jesus died, he rose again, and he has transformed our lives for those who have given their hearts to him. It's the testimony of Scripture. It's the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And then he wraps all these thoughts up in verse 11 of chapter 15. Look what it says. He says this, Whether then it was I or they. In other words, he says, look, whether you believe me, and there were people in Corinth that didn't really like Paul all that much. But he says, look, either you believe me or you believe the 12 or you believe Peter or James or the 500 or you believe me. He says, this is what we preach. Collectively, the church in Antioch and in uh, in Corinth and in uh, Ephesus and all across the world. This is what we preach and this is what you believe. He acknowledges, starts where they believe. And again, it wasn't for their sake that he did all this. He did it for our sake. This is, th- this is God's word for us to be able to understand. One of the greatest testimonies of the resurrection I believe, is the unity around the resurrection. There was a uniformity, a common faith in the early church in regards to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It was unmistakable. It wasn't until much later that people denied the resurrection of Jesus. And people today deny the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But church, we can go back and we can say, no, we believe, we stand on the word of God. And similar to the way that the Corinthians, they received the gospel, they stood on the gospel, they were saved by the gospel, the same is true for us in our lives. And we've got to believe it. And next week, we're going to see how that's applied. But there's a couple takeaways, and I'm going to ask that Pastor Bobby come and uh, and help us um, this morning. Listen, when you... Realize face to face, you come face to face with the reality of the resurrection. Like Paul, the first thing is when he had that Damascus Road experience, 
he realized that he was a sinner. He turned from his ways and he surrendered his life to the Lord. In verse 8, he, he acknowledges his lostness in chapter 15. And when it comes to the resurrection, without faith in the resurrection, there is no salvation. And that's an important piece for us to understand. And this morning, you may have said, well, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the resurrection. Well, I would challenge you. Dive into Scripture. Look at it, what it says, Romans 10, 9. You believe with your mouth, but you, or you, you confess with your mouth, but you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. That is how you're saved. You can't uh, remove that piece. And this morning, if you don't, if you haven't historically believed that, or if you can't look to a time in your life where you have surrendered your life to Jesus, in a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity. And I believe God would, would be honored by that. The second piece, though, is the result of the resurrection. And for Paul, there was a transformation, unmistakably, in his life. The power of the resurrection was overwhelming, helped him in the work of his life. It's what set him free. It's what sets us free. And this morning, I just want to challenge you that no matter what you're facing, whether it's in your marriage or and, and maybe a healing that's needed or you need a financial situation, whatever the case might be, you can overcome because of the resurrection. There's power in the resurrection that's available for us, that Jesus can change us from the inside out. First service, I talked about that almost every week we get phone calls or visits here at the church, people needing help at some level or another. They need help physically or financially, or they need prayer. And what's interesting is as I was studying this this week, this light bulb went on in my mind, saying, you know, we can help some people with some benevolent things. We've got a food pantry. We can, we can provide some basic needs. But ultimately, it's the power of the resurrection that makes the difference. And there's no hopeless situation when we understand what God has done for us on the cross. Amen? And there's a release of God's power through faith in our lives where we can stand and say with confidence, I can do all things. I am more than a conqueror. With the resurrection, nothing is impossible. And this morning, I believe that God wants that to burn, he wants to burn that into your heart like he's never done before. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray for a moment. But before I pray, I want to just challenge you with a couple thoughts. The first is, can you at this point look to a time in your life where you surrendered your life to Jesus and you understood that you were believing not only in Jesus, but in his resurrection, that he died and came back to life. And if you're struggling, saying, man, I'm not sure, in just a moment we're going to give you the opportunity. But the second part is really uh, curious as well, that there are no, there's no doubt people here today that are struggling in some area of your life 
And the reality is there may be people that are ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel, like there were in first service, that are struggling, just hanging on by a thread. And I believe the word of the Lord for you this morning is that there's power for your circumstances. There's power through the resurrection for you. And we need to take hold of that. We need to walk with confidence because of that. And Jesus wants to help us. Let's, I want to pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll ask a few other questions. Lord, I pray that at this moment, Lord, that you would just soften our hearts. Lord, that you would do a work in this place beyond what we could ever imagine. And God, that you would make yourself real, help us to acknowledge you fully for your glory, for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would your head continue to be bowed, eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, if you can't look to a time in your life where you kind of drew the line in the sand and said, all right, I'm going to serve Jesus. If you can't do that this morning, uh, don't walk out of these doors without accepting him. If you're here today and you need Jesus in that way, would you just acknowledge by lifting your hand, I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning? Anyone at all? Okay. Or maybe you're like verse 2 of chapter 15 where maybe you served the Lord at one point, but you're not holding firm to the faith. Maybe you slipped away or your, your desire for the Lord is drawn cold. If you're here and you're in a fallen state or a, a backslidden state of sort, and you say, man, I need to get my life right with God, would you be honest to acknowledge that? We want to pray with you. It won't embarrass you, but just slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? Thank you, yeah. Okay. A couple hands. Okay. If I could have everyone's eyes on me just for a moment. The reality is there's a few people, a couple people this morning surrendering their hearts to the Lord, which is wonderful. And it's great to have a soft heart in those ways. And we're going to pray with them in just a moment here. But I'll tell you this. The reality is we've got empty seats here this morning that need to be filled. Every week we cast out the nets, don't we? We do that strategically. And our desire is to see people in our lives. And I've been challenged myself this week. Is my life representing Christ in a positive light where people would be hungry or curious about coming to the Lord, right? And my challenge is that you, as you leave here today, that the Lord would strengthen you to be a witness of His resurrection. And now you can speak with confidence saying, you know what? This is an absolute fact. Jesus died, he rose from the grave. And what does that mean? And we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. So let's fill these seats, amen? Amen. Amen. One other thing. If you're struggling today, in any way, God wants to meet you this morning with his resurrection power. And I just want to know how many here, in some area of your life, you're saying, man, there's an area of struggle that I need God's help. Would you just acknowledge, just raise your hand? Yeah, lots of hands, sure. Absolutely. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. And for those that just raise your hands, I'm going to ask that you would do something. 
That's pretty bold. I'm going to ask, and there are a lot of you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you would move from where you are, and I want you to come forward just momentarily. We want to pray with you, and we're, you're not going to be alone. You're get, we're going to walk with you. We're gonna have, someone's going to come alongside you, put your arm on their shoulder, but just come on. We're just going to ask the Lord to meet us with resurrection power as we conclude our service. And so when you come down, just lift your hands to the Lord and ask the Lord for his help this week for your circumstances, and God wants to do that. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, God. Lord, we bless your name, God. Lord, we ask, Lord, for your help, God, no matter what. God, no matter what we're facing, God, that your power is greater, that we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Why can we say that? It's because of the power of your resurrection. God, strengthen us. Help us, Lord, right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.